All right, would you stand for the reading of God's Word? We're in Mark 4, and Bradley's going to read it for us. We're in chapter 4, verses 21 through 34. You'll notice that there are four sections, each one beginning with, uh, and he said. So let's start with verse 21. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the grain, full grain in the ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have you seen Uh, Jesus, we come to you now and ask that you would uh, speak to us, Lord, that we would hear your word. Uh, it would not just be words on a page. It would not go in one ear out the other. It would uh, hit our heads and trickle down to our hearts. Uh, Father, we ask that uh, you would speak, that your uh, beautiful light would shine down on these words And uh, I would just simply be a mirror uh, reflecting your words to us. And so, Lord, we ask to hear from you and not from me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Every single person here, every one of you has had the pleasure, the joy, or the temptation of building your own kingdom. Whether it's in the simplest form when you were younger as uh, building Legos and building your Lego kingdom, or if you had a moving box uh, when you moved, and we recently did, you have this moving box that uh, your little toddler walks into and thinks, this is the greatest thing on earth. You see his eyes light up. Yes, my kingdom. Or maybe you, uh, when you were younger, everyone, let's think back, when you were younger and you had uh, built a fort in your living room. You put blankets over kitchen tables and things like this, and it was just this wonderful kingdom. Well, me and my brothers, we, we sometimes did that, but we, we got every fabric in our house, every soft thing, every uh, blanket, every sleeping bag, every cushion, every pillow, and we got all of it. We just threw it in the center of the living room, 
And I'm embarrassed to tell you, we were very proud of this. We gave it a name. And I'm, again, I'm embarrassed to tell you this. Uh, we called it Messy Land. <laughs> Such a nerd, I know. Okay, so, so there's this wonderful world of Messy Land that we could just, you know, the magical, mysterious world where gravity had no power over us. We could just jump and float and fly in the air and land softly on pillows. It was awesome. We would burrow little tunnels and stay up way past our bedtime. Oh, it was beautiful. That was our kingdom. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Now, but we grow up and we, we become adults and we can't have messy land anymore. So we have homes. We buy homes, and just last week we bought a home, or we, a while ago. We moved into our home last week, and uh, I kid you not, we love the home. It's a beautiful home. Um, I kid you not, me and Kristen got asked this question, what are the five most important things to you last week? Write down the five most important things to you. Do you guys know who Kristen is? This is my wife. You want to stand up? <laughs> There's Kristen. <laughs> Didn't tell her. <laughs> All right, we were asked the five most important things. I'm like, okay, Kristen, Knox, my home, like this, looking pretty good. Let me see what she's writing over there. And she's got Jesus, <laughs> my husband, my son, and so on. I'm like, oh, yeah, that... she probably put Jesus in the most important things. <laughs> I mean, this was my home, my kingdom. I own it. <laughs> Sadly, I'm in debt. Uh, I, I get to paint. I don't want to paint. But I can if I wanted to. I get to put things where I want and she gets to decorate. But it's our kingdom. If you're wondering, the fifth and most important thing to me was coffee. Um, <laughs> sorry if you didn't make the list. Um, sorry. Today we're talking about kingdoms. And we're looking at kingdoms, uh, in, Jesus is talking about kingdoms in parables, and he gives us three parables uh, to, to look at these kingdoms with. We have the kingdom uh, revealed, the kingdom reworked, and then the kingdom rewarded. All right, so let's first look at the kingdom revealed, and let's look back at verse 21, verse 22. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And so Mark is continuing Peter's account of Jesus, who is still, as Jeff said last week, sitting on the water. He's still in that uh, amphitheater area teaching. Last week we, we saw the parable of the sower. He's still in his parable uh, time teaching this. And remember, Mark is this immediate action-packed gospel. Uh, Jesus is doing one thing, and then immediately he runs over here to do another. He's doing this, and immediately he runs over here to do something else. And so he's hurrying and hurrying and hurrying, and he's trying to tell you the most important information, the most pertinent info, the most needed info. And he pauses for paragraph upon paragraph to talk to you about parables of kingdoms. So it makes you wonder, why is this so important that he wastes so much time on this. Why is this so important? And we heard last week that people were wondering, is, is Jesus' kingdom even going well? Is his ministry even working? Um, his candidacy for being a king, is that going well? And as we're going into our uh, presidential candidate season, and we're asking the question, uh, what, if, what if Jesus were to run for office? <laughs> If Jesus were to run for office and you look at his resume, you look at the support of his people, the sway of his leadership skills, uh, and his family rejects him, 
His advisors reject him. What are you doing? You say you're a king. Okay, so what do you got? (laughs) What leadership skills do you bring to the table? How would you do in a public debate? Um, Are you too radical on opinions? What's your plan when you reach office? And we're asking all these questions, and Jesus answers the question of what's the kingdom of God about? And he says, well, it's like a parable. I mean, if a presidential candidate said, well, let me tell you a parable. (laughs) No, 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 give me a straight answer. What's your policy uh, on taxes? What's your foreign policy? And so on and so on. And it's just funny. Whenever Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he never gives a straight answer. He says it's a parable. The kingdom of God is at hand. Well, what is at hand? What is it? Is it something here on earth, this actual kingdom? Or is it something in the future at the second coming? And Jesus actually, and we in the reform camp actually believe that it's not one or the other, it's both and. That Jesus actually is reigning now and he will reign more fully in the kingdom to come. This is the, what's so distinctive about our view. It's the present and future. It's present because when he comes for the cross and he conquers it, his kingdom began then. But it's also future when he reigns in glory. And so this is what is called the now and not yet. So that's all we got. So you guys get the kingdom of God? Good. We don't either. Um, Jesus is telling them about the kingdom to come. And he says, whatever it is, Whatever this kingdom is, let me give you a picture. It's a lamp. Okay? And this passage is very interesting because most translators actually make the lamp the object of the sentence. Like Matthew and Luke actually take this passage and make the lamp the object of the sentence. But Mark is distinctive. And he says that the, in the literal, the original language, that the lamp is the subject of the sentence. And if you're thinking... <laughs> Uh, You lost me at this passage is very interesting. Um, (laughs) What the passage says now, as it's it's read, is a lamp lamp brought in to be put under a basket. What it should say is, does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under the basket or under the bowl or under the bed? And so the application, the nuance is huge. What it used to be, the the, the application used to be, so because the, the lamp is the object of the sentence, go let your lamp shine. What it should be saying now is not go let your lamp shine. It's not even talking about you. It's talking about Jesus. The lamp is personified. He comes to shine and reveal. So does the lamp come in order that it might be placed under a bowl? The metaphor is clear. Jesus is the lamp of God. Come to bring light and revelation. He's not under anything. He's above it all. He's not subordinate but supreme. The lamp of God coming to reveal from heaven downward. This is the supernatural lamp. And this supernatural lamp uh, comes and reveals our hearts to us. It reveals hidden sins. It's almost as if you take one of those big uh, rocks, you lift it up and you see all these little creatures scurrying about. And they hate the light. It's repulsive to them. And so Jesus, as a supernatural lamp, shines into your heart. It's almost as if he's lifting the lid and he sees all these living sins scurrying about and he says, I am king even over that area. The lamp of God is even king over those hidden sins. 
He goes on to say in verse 23, If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has more will be given. And for the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. Now this verse is sadly... Uh, used even in our reform camps, even in our um, our, our circles, uh, as a way to imply a sense of legalism. Uh, one reformed uh, giant says this measure verse. What it's saying is the future spread of the mystery of the kingdom will be rewarded in direct direct measure to one's faithfulness to the task. So God's kingdom advances as far as my faithfulness will take it. Like, what? That seems like an abrupt transition to what he's talking about in the context of the lamp, but it also saying that God's kingdom advances as far as my faithfulness. That kingdom's dead. That kingdom ends right here. Somewhere shorter than that. <laughs> No, that's not what this text is saying. Now, remember, we're in, we're in parables. We're hearing parables, as we heard last week, that parables actually reveal our hearts to us. If we're looking at the stained glass window from the inside or from the outside. If you're looking at it from the outside, it's kind of dark and ugly. If you're looking at it from the inside, it's uh, you know, radiant and beautiful. And so parables reveal kind of where your heart is. And so if we hear and understand, and therefore even grasp a little Jesus is worth and work, then grace will be our measuring stick, not the law. Literally, it says, the measure you measure, you'll be measured. So if you are able to measure by grace, then by grace you'll be measured. If we see these parables as parables of good news, then they are good news to us, is what it's saying. If you have this understanding of grace, even more grace will be given to you. And so it's grace upon grace upon grace. We're not being measured by the law. That's our kingdom. And so imagine a candidate said, here's my candidacy. My plan for hope, my plan for change, my plan for moving forward is a lamp. (laughs) Come on, what? What does that mean? I mean, why would Mark waste such valuable space in his action-packed gospel to talk about uh, the kingdom in such vague code, it seems? I think Flannery O'Connor has a very good response if this was her question. Someone did ask her the question. She writes a lot of, or she did write a lot of little stories, short stories and some novels. And she was asked... Uh, Can you summarize one of your stories for us? Can you give it to me in a sentence? And her result or her response was, if I could put it in a sentence, I wouldn't have had to write a whole story about it. (laughs) And so she's saying, the novel, the bigger picture reveals something bigger than I could, than I could just write down in, in this little, neat little sentence. And so the same with parables. We have the kingdom of God and it's so big and so glorious that we can't box it up and put it into a nice little doggy bag for us to say that's the kingdom of God. 
No, we need these parables. We need uh, these pictures to help us understand something bigger than what we would limit it to. And so the great reveal of what the kingdom of God is, the great voila, here's what it is. Saying, I still don't understand it. (laughs) That's exactly what Jesus wants. (laughs) He wants you to be able to lean more on him and ask more. uh, Tell me more about these kingdoms. Let me have one more parable. That's why he gives you four. And we're only talking about three today. But he gives you all these parables to understand what this kingdom is about. And so you have this great reveal. And you're thinking, I still understand. Good, you're in good company. (laughs) But whatever we thought the kingdom was, we saw the kingdom revealed, but now we're going to see the kingdom reworked. Whatever we thought it was, it ain't. It's good English. Um, let's look at verses 26 through 29. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows, and he knows not how. And the earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Have any of y'all ever had it this easy? I mean, this, this is why I don't garden. This guy, he throws some seeds around, and then corn starts flying up out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I tried to plant a watermelon once. <laughs> um, I think the earth just laughed at me. <laughs> it's like, you're an idiot. I'm taking this seed from you. I mean, I went looking for the seed, like, it's not working. Where is it? And it was gone. So... <laughs> idiot don't even try but i did i did plant a jalapeno plant and i'm very proud of that yes so you 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 put the seed in you water you wait you water you pray you give up and then move on in a few weeks and all of a sudden a a stalk starts shooting out of the ground you're like i did it i made life i've created jalapenos that's the proper pronunciation and Then it only produced like two jalapenos. And I was like, oh gosh, (laughs) this doesn't seem to be worth it. (laughs) But this farmer, he chucks some seeds around and boom, it's harvest time. And so Jesus is saying the kingdom of God, whatever it is, whatever sense we're thinking it is, Jesus is saying, I'm about to rework your idea because it's, it's a supernatural seed. Whatever ideas we have in mind of a king, kingdom come tainted with how we think that kingdom should be. How we think we can help that kingdom. And it, that's the beauty of our kingdoms. That's the beauty of my messy land. That's the beauty of our homes, of our ranches, of our kingdoms, is that we have an idea of how it should look. How we can control it. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to rework your idea of what the kingdom of God is. It is like a seed that a man scatters. The kingdom grows and runs completely without your effort, without your interference. You don't have to watch and wait and water. This seed has life and power in itself. It says without your control, the earth produces by itself. Literally, the earth produces automatically. And so Jesus' reign and rule in this world and in your heart comes automatically once the seed takes root. You don't have to will this seed into action. You don't have to hike up your spiritual boots. It is without your effort. 
And he goes on in verse 28 and says, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And then he mentions sickle and harvest. And whenever we see sickle and harvest uh, in, in a sentence, it, it's, in a, it's in an alert button saying, I'm referencing the last judgment where you have this apocalyptic sickle, this giant blade swinging down from heaven and harvesting the earth. And so what he's saying is from scattering the seeds to the last judgment, it's my work. From Christ's first initial gripping of your soul to bringing you into heaven's gates, it's his work. From that first time you heard that you're far more ugly than you thought, yet at the same time far more beautiful than you ever hoped for because of Jesus, till it took you all the way to being before his throne, it's his work. That thought that Jesus' righteousness, it's a foreign, alien righteousness. It's his kingdom. It's his kingdom. It's wholly his. And he reaches not just your heart. His kingdom reaches the earth at large. Even now, Jesus is reigning in our earth now. And so that means that his rule isn't dependent upon kings or presidents. I'll give you a tongue twister here. It was tough to say last service. Uh, I don't know if you're on Twitter or not. I hate the word tweet, but I'm, I like to say Twitter. Um, something weird about tweet. Anyways, I was on Twitter, and I saw that Tully and Tavidian tweeted on Twitter <laughs> last week. Okay. So he tweeted the other day. Dang it, I said it. Um, he, he spoke on Twitter the other day. And <laughs> I just thought it was so perfect to fit. He said... I'm so grateful that the kingdom of God is not flying in on Air Force One. (laughs) We all have this epi desire, this greater desire for a, a greater king, for a greater ruler, and we're settling for mere presidents. We're settling for mere men with power, and Jesus says, This is my kingdom, I'm still in control. It's like a seed that grows without human effort. And so we see the kingdom of God revealed, the kingdom of God reworked, and now we're seeing the kingdom of God rewarded. And this is where all other candidates, kings, and presidents all fail and pale in comparison. Let's look at verses 30 through 32. And he said, What can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on the earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. He says, what can we compare the kingdom of God with? I mean, he, do you hear his own wonder at his own kingdom? How, how can I depict to you this beautiful kingdom, this image? I mean, it's as if a, a, a daddy is trying to translate to his son. He's lisping to him saying, how can I tell you about this beautiful kingdom? And he says, I know, I'll give you one more parable on seeds. <laughs> you got to think, I, I, I read this, I'm like, another seed parable? <laughs> you got to wonder if the disciples were like, yeah. <laughs> you seem like you're beating that horse. Um, um, I mean, as one commentator says, not a, there, there isn't a more banal comparison that could be used to just depict the kingdom of God. 
It should be likened to something grand and majestic, shimmering mountain peaks, crimson sunsets, and the lusty glory of a gladiator. But he uses a seed. That's the paradox of the gospel, the scandal of the incarnation. Not how high and great and mighty God is, but how very close and near he is to us. That he get, puts his seed here. And a mustard seed becomes a shrub. Taller than any of the other plants in the garden. It looks like a tree and so it loosely may be called a tree. And it's growing vigorously in Palestine. It grows up to be 10 to 15 feet. And it's this, the tiniest of seeds. And it's all this power, all this life all packed into this little seed to become something huge. And it becomes this giant tree that births, birds and other animals nest in. And it's this picture undoubtedly referring to uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Think back into Daniel 4. And I feel bad for King Nebuchadnezzar because he has all these nightmares. He just has nightmares after nightmare. He's asking people to interpret them for him. Um, but he's, he has this nightmare, and Daniel says what that is. is there's this giant tree, this, this huge cataclysmic tree. All you see is its base and its trunk going into heaven. You just see tree and clouds. This giant tree connecting heaven to earth. And we see the same imagery all littered throughout the Old Testament. In Ezekiel 17, you have the same tree. Or in uh, Genesis, you have the stairway to heaven. And all of these echoes, this stairway or this tree, are all referencing man's quest to rival God. And it's a nightmare. It's not just this beautiful tree in his dream. It's a nightmare because he sees this tree and he hears, chop it down. It's a nightmare because that tree is a symbol of his own kingdom of how far and mighty he had become, how far and mighty King Nebuchadnezzar had become. He had come to the spot of being almost king over the whole world, of being seen as almost in the godly status. And he hears, chop it down. But in our tree here in Mark, we have God's tree, almost as if the imagery is now flipped upside down so that the roots are in heaven and the branches are now reaching down to earth. And you have God reaching down to earth. God descends to man and it all begins with a seed. The Lord of the universe. The God who created everything became a seed. This passage is not just talking about, oh, it's interesting that Jesus' ministry started out slowly like a seed or whatnot. No, Jesus actually himself became a seed. A single cell. It's odd to think about if you ever seen one of those sonogram pictures. We looked at ours of Knox and we saw a little, it looked like a peanut. So we called him a peanut for a long time. The God of the universe became that, that small little seed. Came out of nowhere from a poor little town of Bethlehem and grew to be the savior king of the universe. And you see, this is the paradox of the gospel, as Keller says, that... If God would have stayed up, man would have stayed down. But because God came down, men can go up. This is the reward of the kingdom. Earlier in Mark, Jesus defeats Satan in the, in the desert. And the very first thing he does when he comes out, he comes out and gives you this victory cry. <laughs> he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand 
repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus' kingdom was begun in the desert and it was won at the cross. And by that tree, by that tree, God reaches down to our hearts and connects heaven to earth and saves us. All because of that little seed. And you think this is just a great stopping point. Why does Jesus even, or Mark even add this end to this? Why does he even put verses 33 and 34? That's where we should end. I'll read it to us because it's in scripture. (laughs) With many such parables, he spoke to the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Why put this little postlude on there? It's because for the 10th time in chapter 4, Mark emphasizes hearing. Hearing these parables. Not just hearing, but understanding. And so what I want you to walk away with today, your application is to hear. To hear that there is another king not named me. That there is another kingdom not named my home. That there is another kingdom. Because every day, self-sovereignty is battling with God's sovereignty for rule over your heart. And we need these parables of grace and seeds and trees to reach way down into our hearts and to say, stop being your own king, to be this mini king and rest in the true king. So will you kneel before your king today and give up your tyranny to this world? This king does not lord over you his splendor and his greatness and say, how, kneel before me because of how great I am. He gave up his throne and stooped down to bring you up. He gave up his crown to be crucified. This is the king who says, I, I'm, I'm going to live by the law so that you can live by grace. I'm going to die so that you can live. And so your application today is to hear of this better king, The one who says, I'm the lamp of God. And not only reveals your sin to you, but reveals your salvation to you. To reveal that it's a reworking of what you thought it was. That it's not your kingdom, it's mine. From beginning to end, I'm in control. Even of your salvation. And one who says, I'm king, and I'm king that's going to reach down to you. And to grip your soul. And so today Mark says, hear it. Hear of your king. Hear of how beautiful and majestic he is and how loving and selfless he is. Hear how much he loves you that he's stooping down for you. Hear it. Amen.